Okay, I'm reading from Mark 4, number 27 through 25. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sharon. You may be seated. If you do not have a Bible, take that as our gift. That is our gift to you. We would love for you to have that Bible. Use it, highlight it, wait till it comes apart at the seams, come back, get another one. We would love for you to use that. So uh, please do take that, and we hope you, I hope you will keep your Bibles open this morning because we're going to get to work. I hope you're ready. We're going to be in Mark chapter, I heard it, that's great, Mark chapter 4. 21 through 25. Before we get to it, uh, one of um, our kids' favorite games to play is hide-and-seek. Kiddos here, anybody like hide-and-seek? Hide-and-seek's the best. And I have a little, I have a secret for you. I'm really, really good at it. Like really, really, really good at it. So I, well, and that's actually just compared to my seven-year-old competition. But nonetheless, uh, part of what comes with being a kind of a slender guy and um, I really want to win this game is that I'll squeeze myself anywhere, hop onto anything so long as it means that I can trick my kids later. Um, I I realize I probably should be a little easier on my kids when it comes to hide-and-seek than I actually am, but life's a challenge, so they might as well learn it now. So nonetheless, just kidding. So nonetheless, I, uh, I love playing with my kids, and something, there's something enormously satisfying about hearing my kids around the house, Dad, Dad, this is enough. Give us a hint already. There's something enormously satisfying about it. But nonetheless, I think right now, some of us, we feel like God's playing a little bit of hide-and-seek with us. It's no coincidence that we're in times where we, anxieties are at an all-time high, Tensions in our relationships are more severe than they've ever have been. You know, anybody feel like they've just been uh, a grump all the time, can't shake it? Maybe you live with one of those people. We add to that wildfires and hurricanes and an enduring pandemic and an election that has really brought the worst out of us, if we're honest. It's no wonder that I have been asked more than once, uh, Pastor, are we in the end times? Now, I think it's helpful for us to keep in mind, these are not the darkest days that Christians or the world has seen. Uh, But still, I think many of us are hoping that at any moment, God is going to come popping out from under the bed and to reveal all that he's been up to. It's no secret that God's ways are often hidden from us, friends. I don't know how many times I've had to tell someone, I don't know. You know, I don't know how long this pandemic will go. I don't know what the election results will be any more than I can tell you what new challenges next week is going to present. But I can tell you something more important, and actually, well, it's not really me. It's Jesus has something more important to tell us, something that God himself has revealed, something or rather someone that like light 
in the darkness shows us our times for what they are, shows us our hearts for what they are, and shows us the mission that we were made to walk in. Today, we are going to take a hard look at Jesus, as we really do every Sunday, who the Bible calls the light of the world. And we're going to see the light that Jesus shines on those three things exactly, on our times, our hearts, and our very mission. And I hope you're ready to see what God has to say today. So again, we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. One of the best things you can do is to keep that Bible open or maybe that app on your phone. I'm sure that it's not Instagram or Snapchat. Okay, so, um, but the, uh, we're going to be um, hearing from Jesus who is teaching what seems to be at the Sea of Galilee. Again, we, he's been teaching in parables, these short stories with a big purpose about teaching us about God's kingdom. But before we look at what Jesus is teaching, I want us to hear a little bit about who Jesus is teaching. First, the people in ancient Israel, especially in the first century, at this point had been passed down like secondhand clothes from empire to empire to empire, from the uh, kingdom of Babylon to the Persians to the Greeks, and now finally to the Romans, and it was getting terribly old. In the midst of all of this, over and over again, especially as one empire seems to uh, pass them on to the other, they are asking themselves, God, where are you? When God has been silent, we find out, and by the time Jesus enters the picture, for a period of about 400 years. A period of 400 years in which there was no prophet in Israel, no one to comfort them or to reveal to them their times from God's word. Their history told them that they were God's special people, but they did not feel so special now. More like the forgotten people of God than the special people. For people like this, hope was dangerous. You know, hope was, uh, it, they're rescuers, they're, they turned out to be frauds and failures. They, the better days, it, it seemed doomed to give way to worse ones. So, much had, so many have given up on hoping for hope um, because hope was just doomed to disappoint. Can anyone empathize? You know, when Jesus arrived, is it any wonder that people were skeptical about him when he first claimed to be offering them hope from God himself? It's interesting, in the Old Testament, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, a prophet named Isaiah writes about the kind of times in which Jesus, or the rescuer from God, would arrive. And it said that these people would be like people who are living in darkness, a people who are walking in a land of deep darkness. Now, we don't mean that they were uh, living in some sort of uh, supernatural eclipse. What we, what we mean that the Bible's vi- vision of darkness is, is a picture for loneliness, for fear, and for despair. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night in complete darkness, perhaps like in a cold, cold sweat? The kind of darkness in which you can't see your hand in front of your face. This happens to me every once in a while. Um, every, so, every so often I'll have the, just, these just terrible, terrible dreams. It seems that that always it seems to happen on Saturday nights uh, before a Sunday. Um, and I'll wake up and it's like I'm a kid again. No matter how much I try and talk to myself, uh, it feels like there's something sinister waiting in the dark. And I know that there's no monsters under the bed, but anybody ever woken up like that still as an adult? Like it, almost like the darkness is pressing in on you? This is the picture of this felt darkness that God said his people would be experiencing prior to Jesus coming. 
The days preceding God's rescue would be like a day of impenetrable darkness in which people had not only given up on the light, they had no memory of the light. They had learned to operate in the dark, to fumble around and giving up on the fact, giving up on believing that life could be any different. Perhaps you can empathize again. But that's not all Isaiah says. Isaiah, as we read this passage often every Christmas in chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. This image of light is all over the Bible, just like darkness is. And just as darkness pictures this absence of hope, light pictures the arrival of hope. This hope wouldn't simply arrive as an idea or as an event. It would arrive as a person. A king, in fact, who would, who would bring a world where God finally and completely gets his way. I, I, it would, because it would be a world in which this king would bring God to us. In fact, one of the names of this king would be Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. A, God, a world where God would get his way and it would be for the joy of mankind. That this would be light in the darkness, like lamp being brought into a dark house. And now up to this point in Mark's gospel, talking to Jesus specifically, many people are drawn to Jesus. They see signs of supernatural wonder in him. Some of them are trying to dismiss them as being somehow demonic, but they see most of these crowds, especially the ordinary people in Israel, see a glimmer of hope in Jesus that they had long given up for, that they never thought they would see days like they are seeing in him. But in other ways, Jesus' nature was hidden from them. They were confused by them, by him, especially some of his teachings. They seemed designed to trip them up. They, he was different than, every, than the rescuer they thought they needed or thought they would, would receive. His teaching, again, seemed designed to confuse. Now, in many ways, there was a purpose to Jesus' hiddenness. Jesus needed to redefine their expectations for this kind of rescuer. But here, Jesus is making a promise when he gives us this parable that Jesus would not be hidden forever. As Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In this parable of a lamp on a shelf, Jesus was inviting others to see what had not yet come into full sight. In him, you see, light had dawned in the darkness. A day was coming in which Jesus would no longer be misunderstood, no longer be ignored, no longer be dismissed, but he would be seen as the very light that he is. And like a lamp, Jesus himself would be set on a stand for everyone in the house to see, never to be overcome by the dark again. It is this promise that sustained Christians from this moment forward and has sustained Christians for over 2,000 years including, I think, of a particular man who lived through one of the darkest moments in human history, an African bishop in the 5th century named Augustine, who lived during the fall of the Roman Empire. The world in his days, the world that many knew, as, the, as people knew it, was burning. It was on fire, in many ways, quite literally, and it left many, including Christians, particularly both afraid and very, very confused. Where could God be in all of this as the world around them burned? 
and burned at the hands of barbarian tribes known as the Vandals, who were famously and ruthlessly cruel, so much so that cities, when they heard that they were coming, emptied. They fled for their very lives before they could arrive because in their wake, these Vandals, they were known to burn up every food source, to enslave their captives, to plunder churches, and then to torment, to torture bishops to reveal where the church's treasures were to be found. And 76-year-old, sorry, not Athanasius, 76-year-old Augustine, began receiving and caring for many of these refugees who were fleeing from these cities as they fell one by one to the vandals, and many of them came to his city in Hippo, a city where he was the bishop responsible to care for them. And he took these refugees in freely until the vandals finally arrived at his door, at the door of Hippo. And as he knew that his city would soon fall, and he spent the last year of his life the last year of his life, a 76-year-old Augustine, refusing to abandon his people, watching as the life of his city was slowly squeezed out. Pisidius, a friend of Augustine, later wrote about these final, this final year, these final months as he watched his friend, um, who ended up dying um, of a pretty serious cough. He said, the, lad, the part of this, sorry, excuse me, the part of his life that Augustine endured almost at the very end was thus the bitterest and saddest time of his old age. His last year was the bitterest and saddest he ever saw. And yet, here's what we also know from Augustine from other records. At the same time, Augustine died with the vandals at his door, deeply content, knowing that even as his city would fall, another city was coming that would never fall. The city and the kingdom of God where God would get his way. See, even in darkness, Augustine saw light. And that light animated him just as it animated the very first Christians who experienced, if you, the more you read your Bible, terrible losses, loss after loss, loss of family, loss of reputation, loss of uh, of um, not just possessions, but sometimes loss of their very lives for the sake of the gospel. And yet so often they praised God in the midst of loss. They they sang in the midst of loss, sometimes with tears on their faces. Why? Because they saw what others could not see, Jesus, the light and life of mankind. Friends, I, I realize that for many, the days that we are in, are full of confusion and full of loss. Some of us are very afraid for the times we're in or the future. You know, I need to say again, they're not as dark as many believers have seen. But still, I don't want to pretend like our world is full of cupcakes and butterflies right now. It's not. It's okay that we admit that. If these times are teaching us anything, it's that our lives are fragile, unpredictable things, aren't they? We can no more guarantee our safety or our stability of our circumstances than we can stop winter from coming in the next few months. We can't always tell what God's up to, why he allows what he allows, how long God's going to wait before he intervenes. However, however, one thing is certain. In Jesus, light has come. No matter how dark times might seem, and darker still they might get. That light 
that has come in Jesus is no less true. And there is coming a day where it will no longer be hidden. And that gives Christians every reason to rejoice. Which means, friends, I need to ask you, if you are a Christian, how are people experiencing you right now? When people are panicked, are you patient? When people are cruel, are you kind? When people are in despair, are you full of hope? Even when you cannot see, and just as I cannot see, all that lies ahead, what, what might happen next week or the week after, let alone next year, we can see in the forefront of our imagination something that is abundantly clear. We can see the light that has been given to us, the light of the world Jesus Christ, and because of that we have hope. Friends, Jesus, true, is ignored by many. True, faith in Jesus can be a lonely, daily, hard, uphill climb, can't it? But if you are a Christian, you can see what many cannot see. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Jesus sheds light on our times. But now let's consider how Jesus sheds light on another thing, on our hearts. Now anyone here, let me just get a show of hands. Anybody a slow riser in the morning? It's tough for you to wake up. How many of you is just, you're an easy riser? Okay, so anybody, you have just a, maybe a, just a cruel and, in, and vindictive person in your house who comes in and flips the light on before you're ready in the morning? Okay, so maybe that's like, that's my morning. My boys do this to one another. Um, Grace is raising her hand, really. That's, our boys do this at 5 a.m. nonetheless. What's your response when this happens? Usually to shout and that the person to get out and then you, the covers go instantly over your head, right? Again, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And a time is coming where that light will reveal all things, but not everyone responds to that light in the same way. See, some, when the light flicks on, they'll leap from bed. And yet others, when it flicks on, will hide under the covers. Why? Because the light doesn't just expose Jesus to us. The light exposes us to us. And it's not always pleasant what we find. You see, it reveals things about ourselves we would like very much to stay hidden. Thank you very much. Uh, pain, shame, betrayal, deep guilt that we have been hiding, or perhaps hiding from, sometimes for years. And some of us have become experts at it. Uh, we uh, have found ways to avoid what is lying, lying beneath the surface uh, by writing one experience, one distraction to the next, by finding something else to look forward to in my life. Some of us have become experts at, instead, uh, of blaming others for everything that is wrong with my life, for why I am the way that I am, why my life has turned out as it has, and still others have spent our lives collecting some sort of inner resume, uh, justifying my worth before God um, for how much better I am than the next person. The light of Christ, however, it sees through these self-made clothes like they were saran wrap. It leaves us terribly exposed. It forces us to deal with our true selves, let me ask you, what would you do if your secrets finally came to the light? What would you do, the things that you were most afraid that others would find out finally were found out? John, 
In chapter 3, verse 19 and 21, puts it this way, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, some, they respond to the light by rushing to the light, even if it means that they see some rather unsettling things about the nature of their own hearts. Because for them, that light is joy. They are so sick of hiding in the darkness, justifying themselves, pretending that things are fine, or trying to perform their way into God's love. And so they see light as a form of freedom. In fact, freedom from self-reliance, from from self-justification, from all forms of self-righteousness. They found it to be freeing to be seen as they are. When they see the light, they pay attention to it. They hone in on it. They want more of it, and God himself is happy to give it. I want us to notice again Jesus' words in verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given. In other words, those who want to know him and thereby know themselves, whatever God might reveal, those who will allow the light of the kingdom of God to break into their lives, God will give them that light in full measure. God is not stingy with us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to know ourselves. He wants to experience the freedom and joy that comes with being conformed into the image of Christ rather than the image of everyone else around us. God is happy to give that kind of life. But for some, this light is not a joy. It is a burning pain. Instead of coming to the light, some will run from it. And some of us at various points have run from that light pretending that things are fine, working our tail off for some semblance of stability, or despairing that really there could be any hope for someone like me, and so we remain in the dark. Even religious people can do this, sometimes expertly, unfortunately. When it comes down to it, I've seen many religious people, they They don't really want Jesus. They don't really want his light. Instead, they want to rest on who they think they are in the dark. And when they see the light, they find ways of expertly avoiding it, of sometimes even using the Bible to justify themselves in ways that the Bible was never intended to be used. They keep, at the again, they, they don't want Jesus. They want to rely on their own resources. They want to rely on their own sense of who they think they are in the dark, afraid that they might finally be seen for what they suspect they actually are. And they keep Jesus at arm's length. Unfortunately, Jesus says that those who do, who insist on keeping him at arm's length, who refuse the light that he, that is offered in the kingdom of God, even the knowledge that they think they have will be taken away. James Edwards puts it this way. This is really sobering. Those who hear Those who knock until the door is opened will find the kingdom disclosed to them. But those of hurried search, whose knock at the door of life is tentative or brief, will find once joyous invitation to enter the kingdom, to have faded into a mirage of disbelief. To have faded into a mirage of disbelief. Let me put this in different words. Friend, you may be interested in Jesus. You may be very intrigued by him. 
You may love even studying theology. You may love teaching people about Jesus. But if you have not come to a personal awareness of your own desperate need for Christ, if you will not lean on him as Savior, saying that you cannot save yourself and you've been trying, and if you will not come to him as Lord, saying he must be your master, that you cannot master your own fate, if you will not come to Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you will not allow the kingdom of light to actually break in on you, even if you may be interested and intrigued by Jesus, the knowledge that you think you have in the end will be removed from you. In other words, this Jesus that you think you are so close to, if you will not embrace him in faith, personally for the forgiveness of your sins, you will lose him in the end. All of this makes me think of a friend of ours, Grace and I, who over this last year lost a lot. A lot. Even from the outside, my wife and I just marveled to ourselves that this was one of the worst years of her life. Add to that, many of the people she trusted doubted her, distanced themselves from her. Some of them even turned on her in the process. And now in front of others, she, she seemed to be fine. She was able to fake it pretty well, but as she later told Grace and I, it wasn't long until this hurt that she'd been carrying just turned sour. She began to sink into this deep spiral of bitterness. Again, a bitterness that most could not see, save her husband. Her husband watched all of this going on, and even as he mourned and empathized with her, as they together lost so much, he couldn't help but notice how this had begun to affect not just his wife's personality, but her relationship with God. You see, as she grew more cold to others, she was growing cold to God himself. She found it difficult to talk to him, to read the Bible or to pray, and soon she found that she was just neglecting him entirely. One day, her husband finally looked at her and lovingly and yet seriously expressed his concern. These circumstances, he said, as real and painful as they are, were hardening her. And if she kept following where that path led, she allowed bitterness to continue to harden, colden, cold, colden, make her cold against God and others, he could not see that path leading any other way than for her to abandon the faith entirely. How would you have responded if someone you love said that to you? Well, at first, you can imagine, as we would have been, she was very defensive. But the more she thought about it, honestly, the more she was forced to admit that he was right. She had allowed her heart her hurt to hide her from the light. And, and admitting that, finally, what this had done to her, where she was going, it was as if she had been freed. She experienced a great sense of overwhelming relief. You see, she didn't need to hide from herself anymore because he had called it out. She didn't need to keep God at arm's length anymore. Now that her heart was seen as it is, now that it could finally be brought into the light, she could finally deal with it, allow God to heal it, allow the, the light of the kingdom of God to break in. Now, I can't help but think at least someone in this room is in a similar place. For a variety of reasons, you are keeping God at arm's length. You don't really want him to come with his light because you're afraid of what he might reveal about you. 
Friend, I fear if you remain there, not only will you lose what knowledge that you have, you will never experience the wonderful reassurance of God's grace. Every Christian is a growing Christian, and they will grow in two kinds of awareness over their life. You watch it, the longer they grow, the more mature they are, the more they have a sense of these two things. One, they have an understanding of the desperate nature of their need. They see just how far sin goes, how deep the rabbit hole is. And the second thing is they see the magnanimous, wonderful grace of God. Especially as they see themselves, they see his grace all the clearer. And you know what it does? It makes the cross over time bigger and bigger and bigger in their imagination. They wonder at it. They sing at it. They say, as we just sung in these songs, amazing grace, that's, that, that's how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. The bigger this twofold awareness gets, the more light you will have. And those who refuse the light will lose it. And those who come to the light will find it in full measure. But there's still one more thing that we have to say about the kind of light that Jesus gives. Not only does he shine a light on our times or a light on our hearts, Jesus shines a light on our mission. If you would, I want you to turn backwards in your Bible for me to Matthew chapter 5. It is the book right before Mark. Matthew chapter 5. The big numbers are the chapters. The little numbers are the verses. Matthew chapter 5. And I want us to read verses 14 through 16. And I want us to look at these verses in our remaining time together. You are, this is verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice how similar this is to the passage we just read in Mark, right? It seems that Jesus often reused parables, um, but uh, these illustrations, depending on who he was talking to, but sometimes he would apply them differently. And in Mark chapter 5, for instance, this light where we were just looking clearly refers to who? It refers to Jesus. And yet in Matthew chapter 5, who is called the light? The Christian. What this means is that the mission of Jesus to reveal the kingdom of God and how we can experience it, how we can enjoy it for all time, this mission of Jesus has now been shared with us. In fact, in a very real sense, Jesus is accomplishing his mission, fulfilling his mission through us. Have you ever thought about that? His light shines through Christians as they speak and as they act now as lights in the world. Isn't it interesting, though, that Jesus has to say, uh, again, a lamp doesn't go under a basket? In fact, he has to say, let your light shine. Why? Because in Mark, this image was a promise. It was a promise that the light of Jesus will not always be hidden. It will be seen by all in the house. In Matthew, though, I think it's a warning. You see, Jesus knows He just knows me really well, let alone us. He knows me really well, and he knows how prone I am, let alone all of us, to hide the very light that we were made to reveal. How? Sometimes it's because we are trapped in a self-made prison of insecurity. We remain Christians in private because we are convinced we don't know enough, we don't have enough experience, and and God could not possibly use someone like me. We imagine all the ways that it could go poorly or has gone poorly in the past, and so we remain silent. 
The second way is sometimes we, it's because we like being indistinct. We live indistinct. We like the status quo. We like our lives like they are. We don't, wanna, we don't want our comforts and our relationships to change. Be, beginning to live as a public Christian is certain to add stress and unpredictability. It's, it threatens to change my relationships in an already stressful and unpredictable life. Consciously or unconsciously, many of us, we operate by this motto, live and let live. We live indistinct. And sometimes, number three, it's because we are simply isolated. Live, we live isolated. When it comes down to it, we don't, we don't really know many people who disagree with our beliefs, let alone have any close friendships with non-Christians. Our weeks are largely spent with other Christians doing Christian things. If someone approached me, of course we say I would be honest about the gospel, happy to give a defense if somebody asked me. But if we're honest, we're not really sure who that might even be in our lives. Maybe you will be as convicted as I am by these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another man who lived in dark and difficult times as a believer, who opposed the Nazi regime in Germany and eventually would lose his life there. He says, flight to the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Christian, when God saved you, he determined to use you, knowing full, way, full well your resume and your address. Not simply to use you to serve a particular ministry or for you to attend church, but to use you in making disciples, to share the gospel and help others so long as you have breath in your lungs and days to give to help them walk in step with that same gospel. That is the mission that we have been entrusted our purpose of our life isn't simply to climb a corporate ladder, to find a nice home where I can raise a nice family, to ride one experience after another, to ride out my days on CNN, Instagram, or Netflix. Even in a pandemic, the purpose of my life has not changed, and that is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. However, many of us, including me, are living as if the purpose of our life was something else. Many of us are trying to hide our light under a basket or a bed when the light of the world has made us lights in the world. This is the very definition of a dying church or a dying Christian, as Bonhoeffer puts it, to deny the call by fleeing to the invisible. But then let me put it a different way. If this is really the purpose of your life, your life as ordinary and as difficult as it might seem is supernaturally significant. If Christ not only chose to save you and didn't get the address or resume wrong when he saved you, then you can expect that he will show off in you. He has work to do through you. You are significant for his purposes if you allow, again, the light of the kingdom to break in on your life. If what Jesus is, says is true and you are bound up with him in faith, the light of Christ now shines through you. Through you, Jesus is shining a light in the times and on the hearts of others. And you and I now have the privilege of discovering who might these others be. On your seat when you came today, I want you to grab a bookmark that's got a big I and a big number three. This is what we call the I3 card. So it's right there. So I3 card, if you would grab that, I want you to look at that for me this morning. A tool which we have largely stolen and adapted from others, um, which we hope to help equip us as a body 
to begin living and speaking as public Christians. Now, I'm not going to walk through this entire tool today. I'm going to ask you and give you a little bit of homework today, save to point out three things for you, how we're going to help. You're going to need to have this card in front of you. So you'll look, and on this card, you're going to see one, two, three on the top. You're going to see three blanks. You're going to see a, a big who under that, as well as four R's. These blanks are for absolutely every one of us if you are a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you don't get an out on this. For absolutely every one of us to fill in with specific names of people who do not currently follow and worship Jesus, who God has placed around me that I might make sense to them of the gospel. It could be those who are under your roof, the very first one. Roommates, a spouse, children, or grandchildren. It could be those I have already have a relationship, that's the second one, with, like a relative, a friend, or a coworker. It could be uh, someone I see in my weekly routines. It could be a grocery store clerk, a Starbucks employee, or a mail carrier. Or it could be someone I need to go out of my way to reach. That's the fourth one. Like a neighbor, the, the uh, person I pass by on the highway, a teacher at school, a refugee family in my community. Identify three people under your roof, from your relationships, in your routines, or just out of your reach that you are hoping to have a chance to teach the gospel to with an aim to convince. If you can't come up with three, you wouldn't be the only one here, but I guess we know what your action step is starting this week. Number two, just beneath this, you're going to find on your card are what we, I've put evangelism tips. You know, I actually should put pre-evangelism tips. These tips have been collected, again, stolen from author and church planter Tim Keller to help us describe the kind of life we should be living on an ongoing basis in which we are more likely to have gospel conversations. I'm not going to read through all of these, but I just want to say two things. First, um, that these can go out of order. And one, numbers one through four are perhaps the most important. These are the rinse and repeat of the Christian life. If you want to have more consistent conversations about the gospel, you want to leave a, leave, live a kind of life where this comes up more naturally, number one through four are the things that you need to prioritize particularly. After all, if the Spirit is the one who not only saves, but produces the very desire and faith that salvation requires, guess what we have the privilege of doing is find out who he's going to save next, about casting the God gospel broadly, about not treating anyone as a hopeless case, uh, wondering, could it be them? Could it be the one that everyone else, maybe even I, have given up on? And last, on the back side, you'll find 12 biblical prayers adapted from InterVarsity Ministry, which will help all of us pray more regularly and specifically for the names that are on our list. For the next 12 days, I encourage you to take these three names and pray one of these prayers every night. And do it at least twice a month. Twice a month. Try to get through this prayer list at least twice a month. And I'm convinced that if you do this with real dependence and real expectation, you can expect that opportunities are going to begin to present themselves more to you. You will have more courage and compassion to reach those around you. You're going to begin to notice opportunities that you've been once not noticing and it's important that I have clarified that people are not, they're not projects, they're people, friends. A strategy like this doesn't get us brownie points or gold stars with God. It cannot make God more affectionate and committed to you than he already is. But without some proactive and prayerful prep to be a public Christian, I fear we're going to remain in the same old patterns, getting the same old results. 
but are you ready instead to see what God might do through your life? As you get creative with your friends and wondering how you can do this together, how you can meet each other's I3 friends, help each other be able to make sense of the gospel there, bear one another's burdens, celebrate in successes, give God the glory for the fruit? Or do you want to hide the light under a basket? You expect God can do it again? Because he can. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come to you as those who want to make sense of the gospel. We want to follow you in obedience. We know it's the mission we've been left, but we feel very inadequate. Again, this is not an individual event. It's a team sport. Thank you that you've made us a part of a church where we can do this together, where we can, uh, again, empathize when things don't go according to plan. But God, would we not give up trying? We have the freedom to try, to cast out seed, as the parable of the sower taught us last week, to wonder who it might be next and to celebrate as you indeed bear fruit. God, we know that growth comes from you. Some plant, some water. And we pray that everyone in here would contribute to disciple-making in one of those ways, but we are deeply desperate for you to provide the growth that we cannot produce on our own, producing it in our life as we allow the kingdom of, uh, of God to break its light upon us and it allows us as that light and life of mankind now makes us courageous to make sense of it to others. Lord, we look forward to the ways that you again show off in power. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.